The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including ACLA Impact, Seed Equity Ventures, and Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and today our guest is Ashish Gadness, and he's the CEO and founder of BankU, which is a blockchain technology to create identities to help people become bankable, especially in the developing world and especially, especially among uh, refugees. Ashish, welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you very much, Devin. Appreciate well, it. We're really thrilled to have you and appreciate you joining us all the way from uh, Geneva today. Tell us a little bit, if you would, about the, um, the, the fundamental technology here. What, what are you doing? At the very heart of it, what we're doing is we are leveraging the basic innovation of blockchain to create economic identities for uh, refugees and people living in extreme poverty. And the way I define economic identities is very basic, which is things that happen to you and me, the people who live in the four and a half billion uh, of the world. Uh, we actually have data sets around it. We have a recorded history of it and we can use them. Whereas the 60 million refugees or the two, two and a half billion people who live in extreme poverty, uh, they can collate that data. And the reason is because uh, there wasn't a technology before blockchain that allowed them to access all that information through a distributor ledger. So the heart of it is we're creating economic identities uh, so that people can actually get out of poverty, get out of the refugee situation. I, I suspect that, like me, many people associate blockchain technology with Bitcoin, and we have, at best, a poor understanding of how it works. How do you use that blockchain technology that's been used for this novel currency to instead create uh, personal identities. I, I, I guess what we most of us understand is that it's supposed to be sort of incorruptible. Uh, but, but what else is going on here? How is this uh, technology being applied? I think it's 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 absolutely the incorruptible piece or in, immutable piece. But I think there's a there's a big shift in thinking right now in terms of decoupling the pure Bitcoin aspects from the blockchain, because at the heart of it, the blockchain innovation is what is, is a distributed ledger. What that really means, if a transaction takes place between two people, in today's non-blockchain world, that data sits on some sort of a centralized database. It could be virtualized, sits on a cloud and things like that, yet it is still managed through a centralized um, set of databases and systems. Whereas the blockchain breaks that notion because it's a distributed ledger where there's a consensus um, that, that people have agreement on. And a very easy example is that, you know, if you wind back the clock 5,000 years ago and you and I were in a village in Africa, and I should give them a lot of credit for inventing the blockchain, um, you know, Satoshi, don't get mad at me. But um, it's because if I owed you two cows, right, uh, the entire village would know that I owed you cows or whatever, right? And then if there was a big rock in the middle of the village, that rock belonged to you till I gave you your cows back. What, what I'm just describing is a consensus transaction, right? I'd have to basically corrupt everybody. I'd have to move the rock and then still steal your cows, right? Whereas uh, in the distributed ledger world, that information is not only in a consensus agreement network, but you and I also have a trust relationship that's validated by everybody 
that's in that village or network. So at the heart of it, what blockchain does is it allows me to have a set of transactions or a set of data that now is incorruptible because there's a consensus around it. I'd have to hack into you know thousands and millions of computers just to get to, hey, this is Devin and Ashish owes Devin uh, you know, a couple of, of cows. So that's kind of the, the uh, basic definition. And the, the one more thing I'll mention is that from an identity perspective, right? The example that I've been using, especially in the context of refugees, if you are a refugee, you know, you get some sort of a microfinance loan, then you get some sort of a food aid, and then you get some sort of, say, immunization. If you look at those three independent data sets, um, they'll keep growing and the NGOs, the social entrepreneurs will have it. But if you move from Syria to Greece to Turkey to wherever, you start all over again. Whereas in the blockchain identity, if I created your identity, first of all, it's immutable. And then all of these things that are happening to you become part of your history, which means when you move from Syria to Greece to Turkey, that becomes valuable to you as a human being. Does that help? Yes. So where does the refugee store this identity on a cell phone? Does it exist in the cloud? Where where does that identity reside and how does he prevent it from being lost? Got it. Um, great question. So the way the identity is stored is basically it is stored on the blockchain and we've created patented algorithms that allow us to do that. Uh, once you've created like simple things using biometrics or your selfie, uh, that identity gets stored on the blockchain and it is accessible by uh, any sort of a phone, it could be a feature phone, it could be a smartphone, it could be a laptop. What that really means is that if you lost a device, you can still access it when you get to a UN refugee camp outpost or a Mercy Corps outpost. So once you create an identity and you are now collaborating with the agencies, you, are, you will never lose that information. And the basic constructs of the blockchain won't let you corrupt it or let you steal it because it's a consensus network, and your identity is secured by things like your thumbprint, could be your selfie, multiple ways. It makes you very portable or communable, if you may. Sorry. Yeah, it's, um, but I can't lose it. I can't lose it. No, you won't. Correct. You can't, right? So what, I'll give you a live example. Let's just say you were in a, in a refugee camp right outside of Syria, and, and you create a, a blockchain bank you identity, and then you got some you know, starter loan money, you got a mobile phone, and all these data points become part of your identity, but it's all recorded on the blockchain. Then six or six months later, or six days later, something happened, and you had to go now to a different refugee camp. In the normal world, all of that data is technically lost, right? Well, it might be in the agency side, but from your perspective, you get there, you start all over again. Whereas on the blockchain, since it's all on the cloud and it's on the blockchain, you will be able to go to the next post and say, hey, I'm Devin, here's my thumbprint. Or you can you know, basically have a passphrase like the sky is blue and all your data is still available. Now, who has to adopt this technology besides the... Uh, refugee. I, I presume other agencies, organizations, entrepreneurs need to adopt the technology. Correct. I think what people, um, the, the, the constituents who need to really adopt are actually at two levels. One is the individuals that are the refugees, as well as, you know, people who live in extreme poverty. It's, it's you know, as much as there's 60 million refugees, there's 2 billion people who live in extreme poverty. A lot of them are called IDPs, which means they're refugees, but they're kind of internally displaced, right? They never got documented as refugees. 
Um, so that obviously population, but I think in my uh, belief and my request to a lot of the large organizations that are you know operating in silos is to collaborate, right? So it's not just the NGOs and INGs, but it's the governments as well as the private sector, right? You can't have a repatriation program with refugees if the uh, if the private sector is not willing to employ based on the data that's collected by the INGOs. So it's really going to be an uphill task, but I think it's worth taking. Because if you know what's happening in some of the refugee camps around the world, the average time people spend is anywhere between 5 to 15 years, which is unbearable, right? It is just a, a shocking fact that uh, people are spending decades in. Uh, I think that when I checked recently, the average time in a refugee camp is 17 years. Uh, so there are millions of people who've never lived anywhere but refugee camps. Uh, just just a horrendous, horrendous problem. So I'm excited to see you working on this. Um, what kind of traction are you getting with the NGOs and others that are uh, need to really adopt this to make it work? You know, we've been very blessed, actually. We, we've got, uh, believe it or not, really amazing traction. So, for example, um, you know, working very closely with some of the leadership at uh, UN Women uh, out of New York, and we are in the middle of a rollout in Rwanda. Uh, with uh, women farmers uh, that are in very rural areas. And what we're doing is actually, this is a very practical example, and it shows kind of how UN Women has been thinking about economic development. So we're, what we're doing there is we've created a global supply chain, uh, you know, classic where you can basically take a plot of land, you can create a forecast for the plot of land, and then you can attach uh, smart contracts or futures contracts for the production that's going to happen in the piece of land. And then they're all going to get attached uh, to a bank you uh, blockchain identity. So that's a very practical live example because if you have built that history, your harvest will show how it stood. And as you continue, you can now extend it to things like other livelihood, education for your kids, because now you can, you're kind of bankable, if you may. So that's one good example. Uh, you know, we're also um, live in a couple of other places uh, like Nigeria, where we're working with uh, the, the Nigerian diaspora globally to enable a trust network with their families back home. So a lot of people think about that as a remittance issue. What I generally say is, you know, there's $550 billion that's going in terms of remittance money, uh, and it, it dwarfs the aid side, which is only $150 billion. So what we're working on is pilots where we're uh, talking to the diaspora going, if you can connect with your relatives back home in more of an investment philosophy, you will kind of take away that pity element. So that's one example. And then, um, you know, we've had a, a several conversations with the folks at the Dadaab refugee camp. That's why I'm here in Geneva. And we're hoping to start something there uh, shortly, have had a lot of time working on that. And then uh, in Mozambique, we just started uh, connecting families who are using solar home systems. And the usage can then be connected to your identity. And that makes you bankable, right? It's just the simple things, right? It, but, you know, Blockchain allows you to make those connections. Well, it is uh, it is exciting. So, do you have a pilot program going on there? Are there are there people in the world who are managing their identity on uh, your BankQ technology? Yeah. yeah. So the examples that I gave. So those are all act uh, live pilots where people are adding and and connecting. And then we're soon to start working with the Somali diaspora in terms of the remittance issues. I don't know if you followed the news, right? There's a lot of issues around that. So no, we we have people actively using, actively registering, and you know we're hoping to scale dramatically. 
Now, uh, can you give us a sense of your scale today? Um, you know, right now it's gonna we're gonna get these pilots very contained, and you know, like maybe you know, a hundred thousand people here or there, just to kind of make sure we've gotten it perfectly correct. But our hope is over the next uh, eighteen to twenty-four months, you know, we're looking at anywhere between on the low end a million identities, on the high end two million identities. That's that's exciting. It's still small though. It's still small compared to the real problem, right? Well, yes, but but uh, this is the kind of thing that uh, you know, if you have the right partners, you can scale it quickly. You know, uh, um, there are twenty million people in the world working on polio eradication, for instance, and they they would love to track everyone who's been uh, had a polio immunization, right? And most of the people they're immunizing and tracking are part of the two billion. Yes. Uh, you know, health records is a big issue, and we've been looking at that very seriously, especially for little kids. You know, I have two little kids, and the whole immunization, if you're a refugee, what shots you've got, and if you don't have it attached to a record set, all you're walking around with these pieces of paper. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, and can you imagine uh, trying to convince uh, people that, that are refugees that that's an important piece of paper, that that, that matters? No, I mean, it. I mean, some will, some will get it that it's important to keep track of that, but most it's going to get lost in the in the horrendous shuffle of their lives, right? So, uh, yeah, this is this is exciting. Well, uh, Ashish, uh, I want to take advantage of the opportunity to visit with you on a personal level for just yeah. a couple of minutes to extract from you a couple of personal insights. Uh, your your technology is exciting, but uh, you obviously have been a successful entrepreneur uh, already and you're doing amazing things and 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 therefore y- you are and are becoming an even greater role model to a lot of people but who do you look up to as a role model you know it'll surprise you actually i, I actually look up to pope francis uh, you know because i think he provides kind of the two sides of the coin uh, you know, which is, you know, people talk public, private sector. And for me, I think the two concrete examples is one, he took a very strong uh, stance around auditing, you know, which, you know, you don't expect the Pope to, you know, but if you read the news, right, he dove, dove into the books, hired a new audit firm, and he's focused on the financial uh, audit of, of the Vatican, right? It's public information. So I kind of really appreciated that, right? Because otherwise you see a, a you know, different, uh, you know, the conversation. Uh, so that's one reason why. The other reason is I think he is, not afraid to take the leap, you know, and, and, and which is kind of what I've always, uh, you know, wanted to want to see because I grew up uh, poor myself. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you, if you don't jump, um, you don't know if you're going to get wings or you're going to land softly. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, that I get inspired by Pope every day because he's, he just jumps, right? He'll say stuff, and, but he'll follow through, right? It's not empty words. I think I look up to him a lot. I think that is... Uh... Of course, Pope Francis is beloved by many, but I love the specificity with which the you know the the, the reasons you identified to admire him, and uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Ashish, you hinted at something, and I wonder if that has something to do with why you care. But I, I, I understand. I think everyone who's watching understands that the refugees in the world and the and the two billion people who are living uh, in in abject poverty, uh, need help. But most of us don't do very much about that. You've decided to do something real and big. Why, why, why does this mean something to you personally? Why have you been motivated to take this on? 
you know, I, I um, you know, I, I grew up poor, right? Um, and I think um, just standing in the, you know, I, I used to stand in the ration line with my ration card, uh, you know, to get rice and you know, uh, uh, oil and and you know, sugar and things like that. And and I hated it. Just sorry, mom and dad. I really, I really hated standing in the ration line. And at many times, it felt like we were a nobody, right? You're standing in the ration line with a card with a four-digit number on it. Uh, you really had no dignity. And and you know, as I got blessed to get out of poverty, you know, travel all over the world, build companies, um, I kind of realized that it was less about helping. Um, you know, it's, and there's a lot of conversation about when helping hurts or toxic charity. And I had kind of done my, you know, the Haiti thing, and you know, like everybody cuts a check. Uh, but I did a little bit of uh, uh, research, and I realized that at the end of the day, you know, what the reason why I was able to beat poverty is not because somebody had pity on me. Somebody said, hey, you know, you have a skill set of software development will give you work, right? And I think that's when I realized that is, you know, most often we put our pity hat on. And if you take that pity hat off, then you're able to look at somebody with a whole different level of respect. And, and then I think just over the last few years, I've seen kind of grades of human dignity get degraded. You know, I did some work in Eastern Congo uh, in Bukavu, and I thought I'd, uh, you know, I thought my poverty was nothing compared to what I saw in Bukavu. And then when I was in Dadaab recently, it was a whole nother level. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just like I'm, I'm way too blessed compared to most people I've ever met. And if I just sit around and try to get another house and another car, I'd say shame on me. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that's just how I see the world. I, I think it's amazing. So, so you, you say you were poor and, and you were waiting in uh, ration lines. Uh, were, were you in a refugee situation when you were young? Um, no, you know, I grew up in Mumbai, in India, uh, you know, I was born in 1969, you know, if you look back in those days, you know, everybody was poor, and, uh, you know, it was a, everybody stood in the ration line, you know, we had riots here and there, and, uh, uh, you know, but that poverty is nothing compared to what I have now seen, you know, in the last few years, but I, I, I hated the standing in the line with the card that had a number on it, if that's all, it, what it comes down to your identity, that's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, amazing, amazing reference points, and I appreciate you sharing that. Now, uh, Ashish, you've done some amazing things. Uh, You're doing amazing things. Everyone who's watching wants to do more good. They want to do amazing things for the world. We ask all of our guests to give us an impact hack, some tip that would help us do more good in the world. What, What would be your impact hack? You know, my simple uh, one would be uh, don't feel sorry for somebody who's a refugee or somebody who's in extreme poverty, right? Uh, feel dignity in a way that you look them in the eye and say, I want to do business with you. You know, it's not like a capitalistic view, but I think the minute you do that, you're going to look at your dollar that you're going to cut to, you know, the standard picture you see with the poor kids with the big belly, and you're going to ask yourself, is my dollar actually going to create work for that kid over the next 20, 30 years, right, in terms of their ability to beat. And if the answer is, I don't know, then you should do your homework, right? And so my thing is, is, is just don't have pity because I think pity is really bad because it almost puts the person you're talking to at a lower level. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Beautiful, beautiful tip, beautiful impact tag today. Well, uh, Ashish, uh, We've just barely scratched the surface of the great work that you're doing. Be- before you go, tell people how they can learn more, connect with you, and uh, and stay in touch. 
Absolutely. Thank you, first of all, for the opportunity. It's just a blessing to be here. I think just the easiest way is, you know, the you can go to our website. It's BanQapp, so B-A-N-Q-U-A-P-P.com, and it's a Twitter handle is at BanQapp, uh, or you could just uh, email me. It's uh, ashish.gadernes at BanQapp.com. Or you can Google us, too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Ashish, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. We wish you every success in creating bankable identities for billions of people around the world who so desperately need them. Thank you very much, God bless. Thank you so much. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact, GGI, uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Seed Equity Ventures is a registered broker-dealer with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and a member of both FINRA and SIPC providing investment banking services to startups globally. Seed Equity's mission is to find the best and brightest entrepreneurs and connect them with global investors. Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with a predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devon is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.